Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Uh, Chase is off this week on vacation. He'll be back next week uh, to join the show and answer your questions as well. But uh, I've got the show for the next uh, hour here. Uh, we'll be taking your phone calls and we've got things to talk about. Very important. I mean, we know that the S&P now is down about, what, 18 percent. NASDAQ down 27 plus percent. Uh, things are getting kind of scary. This is when you really have to look at those fundamentals. So what I'm going to do for today is open the phone lines early for you. We do have other things we'll talk about, but the phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Get you through for that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. We do have topics we want to talk about, which is the May Consumer Price Index Report. I'll talk about that. Also, the U.S. fertility rate and our economy, how that's uh, affecting it. And then employee 401ks, very important to talk about that now. And then around 840 or so, our CFP, our financial planner, Harrison Johnson, will be calling in, talking about potential changes for Social Security. He told me what those were, like, no, this cannot happen. But he'll share it with you around 840. But let's talk about the May Consumer Price Index report. Uh, inflation numbers were released. Uh, there was no surprise to the upside or the downside with a year-over-year -year increase of 8.6%. Now, this was the highest since 1981. I, I do believe these numbers will be in the high range for another few months because of low numbers one year ago. Now, once we get into August and September, I believe we'll start seeing lower increases in inflation numbers. Now, I'm going to say more. It's not going to go away, but they'll be more around the 5 or 6% range because the higher numbers that they're compounding on and also the effects of higher interest rates along with the increase in the, I'll say the improvement in the, uh, in, in the supply chain. Now, fuel oil, which has been a big cause of inflation, was up 100 and 6.7% over the same time frame, and gas climbed 48.7%. Now, if you feel prices are higher at the grocery store, well, yes, you're right, and you may want to avoid the following items if you can. Eggs were up 32% year over year, followed by milk up 15.9%, meat 12.3%, even fish up 12.2%. I guess one can switch to chicken, lamb and pork and maybe have pancakes and waffles for breakfast instead of eggs. Uh, no surprise here also, the University of Michigan consumer sentiment came out for June and that was only 50.2. Consumers, consumers are definitely feeling the pinch at the pump and the grocery stores. So uh, again, we're gonna be in this for another few months. I think the same thing with the markets. We're gonna have some volatility here, but just think again, I think looking towards September, October, we'll see numbers improving. Now, not not reversing, we're not gonna have a one or 2% inflation rate, but I think we can see a five to six, which will feel better compared to where we're at right now. So the growth will slow down 
uh, I think, after the summer comes on here. Also, too, the U.S. fertility rate and our economy, one major problem for the long-term U.S. economic outlook is the fertility rate. It is now expected that a woman will have 1.66 children over her lifetime. Now, back in 1960, this rate stood at 3.65, and even as recent as 2007, it was 2.1. The current rate poses a problem for growing the population as replacement level fertility rate, which is the rate that would keep the population at a consistent size without accounting for immigration, stands at 2.1 children per woman. Uh, the problem here is this creates an aging population, which puts stress on GDP growth and benefit systems like Medicare and Social Security. Now, if, if more people are collecting instead of putting into these programs, that would create a major issue. We know this is starting to see, we're starting to see that happen already. Now, one potential catalyst is the increase in weddings. Uh, this year is estimated to be 2.6 million couples will get married, and that's a major increase from 2021 of 1.9 million weddings, and also higher than the average year at 2.3 million weddings. Unfortunately, I believe a lot of the increase stems from the delays that were created from COVID, but the trend can hold perhaps, just perhaps, that could help with a baby shortage we're seeing here in the U.S., but obviously getting married does not guarantee that these people will be having children. And again, obviously, if you have a couple, you need to have more than two children. And again, when you talk about the averages, you can have 2.2, 2.3 children, but you need to have more than two children in place of two people that will pass away. So it is a problem. This is why I have talked about we do need immigration, but it needs to be legal immigration because we have this, this deficit. There is a lot of money in our economy, a lot of wealth here in the U.S., a lot of demand for products um, and services. Uh, we need people to fill those voids. And at, at the current uh, pace we're on, uh, we are not going to be able to do that. We're going to have even more problems uh, 20, 30, 40 years from now. Um, also, too, let me talk about uh, employee 401ks. A at my firm, we have always recommended that employees contribute to the 401ks with a 10% contribution as the goal, and it seems like people are listening. Currently, 70% of U.S. retirement assets are in 401ks, which is double the 35% the assets made up in 1980. Now, remember, if you're over 50, you can add an extra $6,500 on top of the standard $20,500. Also, and I'm hoping this is gonna pass, there's a bill in Congress known as the Secure Act of 2.0, and this is one part I hope passes. I'm not sure what the other is in there, but this part I hope does pass, uh, with wording that adds an extra $10,000 for those 60 years and older that they can add to the 401k, so then they can put in $30,500, obviously, into the 401k uh, and invested properly, a 401k is one of the fastest ways to build good solid wealth over the long term. And just imagine you can put in $30,500 also to if your employer has a de decent match, this can really get you to retirement quicker. And if you're behind the ball, which I unfortunately I've seen people in that situation, they're in their 50s and they don't have enough to retire on, well you can put the extra 6,500 then you hit 860, next to 10,000 on top of that, hopefully. Uh, so you can get to where you can build up a nest egg uh, for retirement. So that's something that uh, is gonna be helpful. Um, also too, I didn't wanna mention signs, because I, I did say this, but signs in the economy uh, that the supply chain is improving. 
Uh, where's my notes at there? Uh, let's see. Signs. Uh, there are there are signs that the economy and the supply chain is improving, and consumers could be cutting back a little bit with a raise in the first quarter retail inventories of 26% from a year earlier. So this is a positive sign with the inventory starting to rise on the retail. Before that was not there at all. We're starting to see that as a, the supply chain improves. Uh, this is not accounting for inflation, however. If there are more items on the shelves, retailers must compete for sales, which benefits consumers with lower prices. They wanna get those sales, they wanna make them, so they'll cut their prices somewhat. Just uh, this past week, Target provided further proof of this adding operating margins will be squeezed this quarter as the company liquidates excess inventory. Again, they're going to liquidate more inventory, bring down the prices, helping out the consumer. Wouldn't that be great if we could get someone in the government to understand the same concept when it comes to oil? Let's hope and pray that can happen. And again, higher supply uh, means lower prices, uh, especially if demand uh, stabilizes. And demand will be slowing down on the oil side. So if you find this information useful and interesting, you can sign up for our newsletter. It is free at our website. Go to smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. There's other topics that we talk about. Uh, we generally do about, oh, I'm gonna say probably about 10 a, a week on different things that we see that are important that we pull out. We post them on social media. We'll talk about a few here, but if you wanna get the full brunt of everything we do, it comes out every Friday, I think Friday afternoon. Uh, again, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com, smartinvesting2000.com. It's right at the top, you'll see all the, the signs there. You'll see, listen to the podcast. You'll see uh, this at the website. Uh, oh, actually, now we put a little button up on top. It says sign up for the Smart Investing Newsletter. So make it very easy for you to do that. Alrighty, phone numbers 833 288 0973. That's 833 288 0973. All lines are open. So give us a call. Get you through that unbiased, no strings attached fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Well, we do get uh, email uh, requests from people, so let me kind of go through those and see what we have here. Uh, this came from uh, Jeff. Uh, the reason I'm reaching out is because I have a stock I'd be interested in getting your take on. If you hit a lull in the show tomorrow morning, could you read the tea leaves on Crocs? Symbol C-R-O-X. I've seen them for years, and I'm not a fan of the product. I would be caught dead in, in those things, and I kind of have to agree. I just don't get the concept myself, but I know they're pretty popular. But uh, when I look at the numbers, I like what I see. I don't think it pays a dividend, which is disappointing. But beyond that, it seems like it has promise. I don't have easy access uh, to all the numbers. You guys do. And even if I did, I can't interpret them the way you do. Love the show. And thanks for the way you handle our money. All right. So let's uh, put in the, the numbers here for Crocs again. Uh, let's see. Wake up here, computer. There we go. Look, I put in the symbol C-R-O-X. And, and I have thought about this one myself because I know this was popular and I was thinking too, perhaps with people cutting back, I, I don't believe these shoes are very expensive. Uh, they may say, you know what, Let, let's get these Crocs. And, and some people love them. They love the way they look. Myself, I don't. All right, uh, looking at the short share uh, uh, percentage float here on short side, not very high, 5.1, I'm okay with that. Institutional ownership, uh, 83.6. Uh, wow, very nice P.E. ratio, 4.8 versus 24.9. I like seeing that. We do see price of sales looks good, 1.3 versus 2.3.
price to book value uh, not material for the tangible book value versus 36.1. So it means they have a lot of intangible assets, which I'd want to know what those are before I invest in the company. They could have to be written down, which would be a problem. But price of cash flow comes back to looking good as well, 7.2 versus 21.3. And a very nice peg ratio, 0.5 versus 4.2. So showing you're not paying much for the growth of this company. Now, the earnings growth over the past year is 89% versus 24% for the industry. That's a big positive. And even their sales are up 61% versus 12.1. So the company's doing very well. The uh, five-year growth rate on the earnings is 10%. That's not bad. The industry does show 24.6. They do not pay a dividend. Let's take a peek at the balance sheet here. We see a current ratio 2 versus 2.7. That's okay. Debt equity, doggone it, here, here comes a problem. 8.9 versus 0.9. That means they have an 890% debt over equity. That just wipes out the whole thing here because you don't want to get a company with that much debt, especially with those intangibles. What if they have problems paying that debt? So very disappointed seeing that. I'll, I'll continue on, see what else we see here because maybe there's something on that. And sometimes too, it could be, and I don't have time to look at the balance sheet today, uh, but it could be that the equity is very low and maybe the debt's not that high. So why I'm saying it doesn't look good here, sometimes the numbers will mean something different and this is where you gotta do a lot more research. But the uh, net profit margin is very good, 27.9 versus 9.8. Return equity, 200.5 versus 39.4. Now again, this is where I talk about the numbers because return equity 200%, it's telling me that equity is probably very low. So maybe the debt is not as bad as we think it is. And they do have a good current ratio. We also do see return on invested capital is 21.4 versus 20.9. Uh, I see the stock closed at $53.82 on Friday. Wow, the high, 183.88, the low 47.33. So they are getting close to the low there. Uh, year to date, the stock is down 58%. Uh, that is a quite, uh, quite the big decline. And their market cap is not that large, 3.3 billion. Uh, let's take a look at the uh, analysts going forward, see what they say for the earnings. Now I do see going out to December 2023, they have earnings projected of uh, $12.17. Let me do the multiple of that times 16.6, which is what we use for the Ford PE. That would give us a target sell price of $202. And also too, I gotta say there's 10 analysts the, the estimates are pretty close. The low estimate's 11.23, the high is 13.55. So that tells me that's those numbers are pretty good. Uh, we do see over the last 90 days, the estimate hasn't moved that much. 90, day, 90 days goes at $12.33. Uh, today, again, uh, 12.17, so not much of a decline there. Um, analysts over the last uh, 30 days have increased by three have up the re revisions there. So. The, the only thing I would do, I, I like what I'm seeing. I like the valuation ratios. I also like the earnings going forward. I like the tightness of those earnings. Um, I just would want to verify what I said. You need to go to the balance sheet to, to do that, to see what the balance sheet looks like, to see, you know what? Uh, no one's called in yet, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to uh, take a look at the balance sheet just because I'm very curious on this uh, myself and see if we can see any information here that'll help us out. Now, this is as of March 2022. Uh, looking at, let's go down to the equity first. Now the equity is 349 million, uh, which is not that large. But when I go to the debt, uh, where's the debt at? Okay, long-term debt, ah, shoot, it, it is $3 billion. 
So, yeah, I'm kind of disappointed with that. I, I thought that the, with return to equity of 200%, that 349, it'd be a very small one. Like they now in December 2020, the the equity was 14 million, jumped to 349 million uh, in uh, the, the next quarter. So, uh, what I would do, see, and here is also something strange. Uh, December 2021, the debt was 921 million, then it jumped to 3 billion. So you want to find out why they take on about $2 billion of debt that really kind of put them out of the, uh, you know, very leveraged position is what it did. Uh, so I would check that. Cause I, I almost think it's worth it because I like the company. I like, I, I don't like the shoes, but I like that people like the shoes. And I like to see that people are actually uh, buying the shoes and low valuation ratios. So Jeff, that's, that's why I stand for Crocs. No definite answer there, but definitely some, Good possibility for the research, especially with being down, what I'd say, 50% for the, uh, for the uh, uh, year. So, all right, phone numbers, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And that will get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. I just talk about something really quick here that uh, I want to kind of mention to you, and that is about in regards to. Let me turn the page here. Major spike, uh, spike price in diamonds, along with many other things in life. Diamonds have also seen a major price spike, with a huge wedding boom after COVID. Demand for diamonds grew 60% in 2021, but production grew by only 5%. This led to global price increases about 21% in 2021, and I believe pricing in 2022 is unlikely to improve. Uh, and by improving, I mean go down if you're buying a diamond. A major reason for this is about a third of the diamonds come from Russia mining company, El Rosa, and we know how the world feels about Russia at this time. If you're looking at buying a diamond this time, you may want to consider alternatives such as lab-grown diamonds. Now these are real diamonds, they're just grown in the lab as opposed to waiting, I think it takes hundreds of years, I believe for a, a diamond to actually uh, really become a diamond. So they can now you know, duplicate that process in the lab so they're real diamonds and they're not the, uh, what the cubic zirconians, those are not diamonds, they're, they're like a glass, they're not uh, a diamond, but a lab grown diamond is real. It just was produced much quicker than the normal that it would take. So that is uh, the major spike in uh, price in diamonds. And I wonder how that will perhaps keep the price down. If you can't produce these diamonds, what will happen with that? All right, uh, phone numbers, uh, again, uh, 833-288-0973. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with, I don't have his name here. Al, let's speak with Al. Al, you're in the Smart Investor Brent Chase. How can we help you out? Yeah, I wanted to ask you about uh, EFC. I don't own it. You don't own it. EFC. All right. Let's take a look at EFC. Uh, and I come up with uh, Ellington Financial. Is that the company? That's it. All right. Well, let's take a look at uh, Ellington Financial, symbol EFC. They're in the REIT mortgage industry. About 4.6% float is on the stock. About 60% uh, owned by institutions. Uh, not a bad start here, Al. The P.E. ratio is 10.1 versus 12.6. Price of sales, 9.8 versus 5.4. Don't like seeing that one. That's too high. 
price to book value 0.9 versus 9.4. That's a big positive. And price to cash flow 10.9 versus 6.9. That's not good, but it does have a good pay ratio. 2.1 versus 48.3. Now, looking at the past year, there seems to be a problem here. The earnings were down 63.9%, but that was the same for the industry. So I'm not sure why the earnings are down that much over the past year. Uh, sales were also down 57.2%. Uh, the industry is down 486 And again, this is the REIT mortgage. So I guess what's going on here is with the rising interest rates, this is really hurting the REIT mortgage industry. Uh, we do see that the EPS uh, growth rate over the, last, over the next five years does look good, however, 4.3% versus one5 Now, here's probably why you like this one. The, the dividend yield is 11.5%. It does show they use 115 0.5% of their earnings to pay out that, that big yield there. So that would worry me. That means they either have to increase their earnings or they have to decrease that uh, yield, obviously. Uh, on the balance sheet, uh, it's a, a mortgage read, so I'm not going to see some normal things here. I do, unfortunately, see a debt to equity of 3.3. That is higher than the industry at 1.8. Uh, net profit margin, 104.8% versus 50.3. And I think a lot of these numbers are very strange here, Al, because of it's a mortgage REIT. And mortgages, they pay part principal and interest. Could be still some effects of refinancing going on. Uh, we do have rates rising, which should slow that down going forward. But I still think we're getting some strange numbers, which are over the past year. Uh, return on equity is only 6% versus 10.3. I like to see that around 15. Uh, on the stock price, we see it's currently $15.67. The high is $19.60. The low is $14.28. The market cap is only 940 million. Let me see if I can get some uh, numbers here on the estimates going forward. Uh, we do see we have a estimate here for December 2023 of $1.86. If I put a multiple of 16.6 on that, uh, let's see, I would get, uh, looks like 31. So that's to be the target sell price, 31. And there's five analysts, a uh, pretty tight number there as well. One says 180, somebody at the top says 190. And the trend is held pretty good, $1.88. Uh, the downside is $1.86, only down two cents over the last 90 days. Um, I, and I'm trying to think through this as I'm speaking here, Al. I believe these mortgage REITs will do well going forward because there's gonna be less uh, refinancing going on. So they may keep those in but I'm not sure how this will affect a mortgage REIT with new mortgages coming in at higher rates. It should be a positive, but I'd want to study that a little bit more. I think it could be worth it because even if they cut that dividend down to nine or 10%, that's pretty good. But you really do want to understand what kind of mortgages do they have in there. Hopefully they don't have subprime mortgages because if we do hit a recession, uh, which I don't think we will, but if we do, that could cause problem and people could start defaulting on their mortgages, hurting them. So worth the research, but I would not buy it this time until I understood more about it. Already? Thanks a lot. Thanks, Al. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go to San Diego and speak with Anthony. Anthony, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I was uh, wanting to ask about Intel, I-N-T-C. I don't own it yet, but I uh, was wondering if you think it might be a good value at the current price. Okay, uh, yeah, let's take a, a look at that. And are you looking to buy it, you said? or? Um... Yes, I'm looking to buy it. 
Okay, well, let's take a look at that. I know Intel, I believe they have spent or talked about spending, I believe, 60 to $80 billion to actually uh, build new plants and stuff. And they're trying to be, you know, the U.S. chip company because uh, we've got Taiwan Semiconductors and other ones that are not here in the U.S., so they're trying to do that, which could take some time. But let's take a look at the numbers on Intel, symbol is INTC, only 1.3% uh, short on the on the float side, so that's very low. So they are not expecting this stock to go go lower here. Uh, Sixty-five percent institutional ownership, a very nice PE ratio, six point five versus eighteen point seven. Price to sales two point one versus four point six. Price to book value two point three. The industry is well over a hundred, so that's a big positive for Intel. Price to cash flow five point three versus twelve point five, and the peg ratio three point six versus 4.3, so all the valuation ratios and the peg ratio, all positive for Intel. Now, over the past year, Intel did uh, increase their earnings by 35.3%. The industry is up 50%. Uh, over the last uh, year, the sales were actually flat, which is not good for Intel. It's part of the problem. They're having a hard time growing on the short term. The industry was up 11.1, and the five-year earnings per share growth rate for Intel is only 32 versus 16.9, so that's not very good. We'd hate to see that that low, but uh, I think they can turn it around once they get those factories online, which will take some time. Now, you get a nice dividend from Intel. It's 3.7%. They only use 23.3% of their earnings to pay out that dividend. Uh, we do see on the balance sheet, you got a current ratio of 2.1 versus 3.1. Debt to equity is only 0.4 for Intel versus 0.6 for the industry. Net profit margin, well that checks in at 31.7% versus 25.3. So Intel, you gotta, gotta realize this, they make, even though they don't make as much uh, product wise, they do make 32% on every product that they do put out versus 25% for the average of the industry. And then return to equity for Intel is 23.9, very good. Industry is at 26.5. Now, looking at the share prices here, we do see um, uh, uh, yesterday closed at $39.18. The 52-week high is $58.42. The low is that $39.18. Their market cap is $160 billion. Let's take a look at the earnings going forward for Intel. We do see that going out to December of 2023, we have earnings of $3.59. Uh, there's uh, 34 analysts. I give that number, and if we take that multiple times 16.6, we do get a target sell price of 60, which is probably, what, about 30% uh, plus uh, over where the stock price is now. One thing I am a little bit concerned about, I want to point this out, is that the low estimate is $2.64. The high estimate is $4.06, so it's a pretty big range, but you do have 34 analysts, so you want to keep that in mind. And those numbers are coming down. They were $3.72 back 90 days ago. Uh, they're now $3.59. Uh, so they are declining. But in, Intel, when you, when you read what they do and they got the new CEO, they got a new management team, it does take time to turn that big ship around. But I believe they will do it. And I do believe you'll see other uh, chip makers uh, actually come down a lot. Uh, if you do invest in Intel, you probably don't have much downside but it could take a little bit of time. And, and for us, you know, 12, 18, 24 months, we're, we're patient. We're willing to wait that long. Plus you do get a nice dividend in this market. 
um, we're willing to wait that long for it. So, so I, I, I like Intel at the, these numbers here. It's just a, it's not going to be a big growth for you, but I think it will be a nice, stable investment to have long-term in your portfolio. Alrighty. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a good one. Alrighty. That does open the phone line. 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go to San Marcos and speak with Phil. Phil, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, Brent. How's it going? Good. How you doing? Hey, good. Hey, I uh, want to chat a little bit about Visa Symbol V. I've been in and out of Visa for the last few years. Currently out, but I've been seeing it drop and curious to see uh, your analytics on the valuation. Are you in it right now or are you looking to get back into it? No, looking looking to get back into it. You, you know, and I got a, I think it was on social media, I got a question what effect I would think higher interest rates would have on credit cards. Um, and I didn't really look into it, just my uh, uh, quick analysis is, I don't believe it had any effect on credit cards because they get paid a fee, not a percent of what they're earning. So I, no research, that's just a thing there. So, but let's take a look at uh, Visa, because I know they have been very high. Uh, very expensive, and, and I wouldn't ever buy them at that, those levels are too expensive, but let's see if they're becoming more reasonable now. The symbol for Visa is V, uh, not much short on it, 1.7%. High institutional ownership, 97%. We do see a P ratio very high, 31.4 versus 17. Price to sales, 16 versus 4.5, that is high, along with price attainable book value, nothing there, it's not material versus 49 for the industry. And then price of cash flow expensive as well, 26.8 versus 14.3. Uh, peg ratio does look pretty good though, 1.5 versus 2.9. Now, over the last year, Visa has grown their earnings by 31.6%. That is below the industry earnings growth of 47.9. The sales for Visa up 26.1% versus 23.9% for the industry, so slightly better there. The five-year growth rate on the earnings for Visa, 18.1% versus 18.4. So good growth rate, about the same as the industry. Now, they do pay a dividend, but it's only 0.8%. And they use 22% their earnings to pay that out. So that's a little bit disappointing there. I'd like to see a better dividend from them. Perhaps that will change in the future. The balance sheet, we got a current ratio, 1.3, same as the industry. Debt equity is very good for Visa, 0.6. I say that because the industry is at 1.4. Um, I do see that the net profit margin is 51.1% versus 26.9. And I know over the years, Congress has tried to, you know, get them to lower that and so forth, saying they're too profitable. They just kind of do it in a different direction. Uh, return equity for Visa, 38.3 versus 41.9. The price on Friday was $199.51, the high. They have pulled back. $252.67, the low is $186.67. Year to date, not doing too bad. Again, they're down 7.6%. The S&P 500 is down about 188 They do have a big market cap of $422 billion. Let's go forward here, see what the analysts say for the company going forward in the earnings. We do see an earnings increase uh, from September 2022 from $7.15 to September 2023 of $8.37. 
Let me get a target sell price on that here for you uh, to see what the target. It doesn't sell. look good. <laughs> well, it's, it's growing, but not as much as we'd probably like. And 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 I do sell. We got a target sell price of only one thirty nine. So that is below the current price. And looking at the analysts, there are thirty five analysts. They do believe <clears throat> that eight thirty seven is pretty strong. Seven sixty seven is a low. Eight sixty six. Uh, actually, that number is down. The earnings over the last nine days it was eight fifty ninety days ago, and uh, now eight thirty seven. And why I think with rising interest rates, I don't think it's going to affect Visa and Mastercard. But if consumers do slow down on their spending and using their credit card, then that would hurt them. Now, on the other hand, many times if people start, you know, because a lot of people have a lot of cash, so they're using cash. Well, now if they start building debt, they could use a credit card more. So, uh, but it, what I say, the target price was one thirty nine. I, I just would not want to go back into this. I mean, you could see the stock fall perhaps down to 100 if we do hit a recession. They may not be able to weather the storm that well. So I, I would say stay away from it at this point in time. All right, Brent. Hey, appreciate it as always. All Have right, a good Phil. weekend. Well, thanks for calling. You have a okay. good one. All right. Yeah. Bye-bye. All righty. That does over the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288. 288-0973. Before I go to Mike in Oceanside, I do want to talk to Harrison, our financial planner. Uh, Harrison, good morning. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Brent. I'm doing well. Well, good, good. I, I teased with it this morning because the potential change of Social Security, I told people they're not good. Hopefully these don't come on through, but why don't you explain what you're talking about here? So um, I get questions about this quite a bit, and right now, by 2035, um, there's only supposed to be enough money in Social Security to pay out 80% of benefits. So some people say, well, it's not going to be there. And I say it's probably going to be there. It might look a little bit different. So this week, there was a proposal that uh, came out from Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and some of these other people. And in this proposal, they have a plan to extend the solvency for another 75 years. Um in that plan, there are some provisions that increase benefits on Social Security. Some of them are um, just a flat $200 a month increase for everybody, um, an increase to the cost of living adjustment that Social Security uses, um, an increased minimum payment that people would get, so like a, a, a low threshold that everybody would receive, they would increase that minimum of what that would be. Um, there would be some more increasing of student and child benefits, and then they would combine disability and Social Security together into one fund. So those are some of the increases that this would happen. Now the question is, how is that going to be done, or how is this proposed to be done? So right now, Social Security is funded by taxes that we pay on wages and self-employment income. If you are an employee, a W-2 employee, you pay 6.2% of your gross earnings into Social Security and your employer does 6.2% for you as well. If you're self-employed, you are both the employee and the employer. You pay, you pay both of those taxes, so 12.4%. So that tax, the 6.2% tax, goes up to wages of $147,000. If you make more than that, you're only taxed on up to $147,000. That's the current, uh, the current way it works. So... The plan now that's proposed, was actually came out on Thursday of this week, was to lift that cap and subject all income above $250,000 to that Social Security tax. So 
So you'd be taxed up to that 147, and you'd have a little bit of a gap, and then everything above $250,000 would be taxed. Now, in the verbiage, it says all income above $250,000. And I'm not sure if that really means all income, all income, because again, right now it's just wages that are taxed. Um, but there's another provision in here where it changes the way net investment income is taxed. So currently, if your AGI, adjusted gross income, is above $250,000, there is an additional 3.8% tax on all investment income. So that's capital gains, dividends, interest, rental income, sources like that. So this proposal would increase that 3.8% tax by 12.4% up to 16.2% tax on all investment income if your AGI is above 250 grand. And also, it would expand that to include some pass-through income from S-Corps and partnership income. So virtually pretty much every income source out there or most income sources out there would be subject to now this new 12.4% tax for incomes above $250,000. That is a massive, massive tax increase. And it's kind of funny. In here, it always talks about, oh, well, we want to require the wealthiest to pay their fair share. But there's a, a provision <laughs> here that says, well, this extra tax that these people would be paying does not credit any additional earnings for them. So for the people that would be paying these extra taxes, they would not receive any increased Social Security benefits when they're actually collecting in retirement. So, you know, the way Social Security works is it's based on your career earnings, up to 35 years of career earnings. And the more you pay into it through higher income, the more you get back. But it's on a decreasing scale. So it really kind of favors lower income workers because they get back a higher percentage of what they put in. But again, this tax increase um, for incomes above $250,000 would have no impact on um, the benefits that those people would be paying. So if I look at you know, how likely this piece of legislation is going to get passed, I'd say it's probably not that likely, but something is probably going to happen. As I said, by 2035, you know, that the Social Security Trust Fund is going to be insolvent and they'll only have enough in there to pay 80% out because that's what uh, people are currently paying into the system. So it is likely that either we're going to see some type of decreased benefits or increased taxes. So, you know, in the future, I think it's very possible that we could see increased taxes. So you want to be very careful when you're accumulating and managing your wealth that you have some flexibility in there and some tax diversification where this isn't going to hurt you too bad if um, if we do see some tax increases. Yeah, and Harrison, I get their numbers and I know what they're trying to do, but you just can't do that because of the fact that it's, it's just so excessive. And you're right. You're going to put all this money in. It, it de-incentivizes people. That what I've always said they should do is that I think they're just too liberal with the benefits. I mean, gosh, I've heard that you, you work 12 quarters, you get like, and I, these numbers I'm guessing at, maybe you know the numbers. You work 12 quarters, you get full benefits for the rest of your life. I mean, how can that be? Um, it, 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 it's just the benefits are too easy, which drains the system. So what I think they need to do is kind of like look at the benefits and try to pull back some of those survivor benefits they have. I mean, it, it, it just seems, you know, too too easy. And yeah, they're gonna have that shortage in 2035. I always felt what they would do is cut back on the benefits 
where, and I tell people, you will get Social Security, but maybe instead of getting 100%, maybe you get like 80% of what you thought you're gonna get. That to me kind of makes sense, but um, you, you're right though, they'll probably raise it somehow, some way, but I think they should cut back on the benefits as well, because they're just too liberal and too many people get benefits that, you know, it, it, it just too easy. Yeah, so the way you have to work for 10 years and that's when you'll receive benefits. Um, one of the ways that I thought would help is just to increase the retirement age. It used to be 65 and then it got increased to 66 and 67. Um, but that would be a way of technically decreasing benefits, but you're still getting the same monthly amount. You just have to wait a little bit longer in order to get it. Um, so either way, though, there, there's going to be some changes to it. And something like this, I mean, a 12.4% flat tax on income above $250,000, I mean, that's that's huge. I mean, small business owners would get crushed by that, which, I mean, that would have ripple effects across everything. So Yeah, and also, too, I think the disability, because that's part of that as well, the disability benefits, they, they seem to be, and I, I know a judge that actually is a federal disability judge, and the cases that he gets come through there, I mean, they're, they're just ludicrous. And he doesn't pass them, but I guess they can wait like a year or so go in front of another judge. You play the judge game, eventually get a judge that will pass it. But some people on disability that they, they shouldn't be. They're able to work, but because they got, I don't know, I'm being facetious here, but a broken finger, oh, I, I can't work any longer. You know, they, they, they've got too many people. I remember seeing this number a while ago, but the people on disability is also increasing dramatically, which that too, I believe, drains the fund as well, correct? It is. So yeah. there's Social Security old age retirement income and then there's Social Security disability income, um, which is a separate piece. So it's all in the, in the same Social Security uh, administration. So the same big fund that comes out of, but uh, yeah, so. It, it is a problem, and, and that's why, you know, we, we vote here in the country and, and kind of listen to what people are looking at and vote for you think who's going to do the best thing with uh, with your money going forward. So, Yeah. At, and this is also, too, why it's so important to the financial planning because you may not be able to count it. And, and Social Security was never meant to be a full retirement benefit. It was supposed to be a supplement. So that's really important, too, why you got to do your financial planning to build your retirement to supplement your, your retirement. So, and to and to set up your income sources so that you can hopefully avoid some of these taxes. There you go. Yeah. Well, Harrison, thank you very much. You have a good one. We'll see you on, on Monday morning. Thanks, Brian. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye bye. All right, again, that's uh, Harrison Johnson, our financial planner. If you are looking at uh, retiring, you need a financial plan. Again, Harrison is on a salary. Uh, he does not get commissions. We do not sell product. It is a fee-based plan. If you want an unbiased opinion on your plan, you do get a free uh, consultation with him first. Uh, give him a call to the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Four three zero six, or go to the website smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Click on where it says Meet the Team, and you'll see Harrison there. You can send him an email, and you can contact you that way. Already, phone number is here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's up to Oceanside and talk with Mike. Mike, you're on the Smart Vest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? How you doing, Brent? Good. How you doing? I know this is probably not one of the stocks that's in your wheelhouse. It's kind of discretionary income for me. It was a 
kind of speculative, but uh, about, oh, 15 years ago, I looked at, you know, where oil was going, and it was going down and down and down. I cost averaged into rig, which I had seen years ago during the last oil crisis we had. I'm 61, so I, I, I remember a couple of them. And um, I got it down to, I started at about $6, and then it got down around 2 bucks for rig, RIG. And they're an, uh, an offshore platform drilling company. And that was one of the first things to kind of get phased out. A lot of their rigs were out of service, but they were one of the largest and they were very, very high um, at one time when the big oil crisis happened. And I just knew that with the switch over to electric being too soon, too quick to, to service the world that eventually, you know, these companies would have to start maybe drilling offshore again, um, although it's not real favorable in the United States. And I think I'm I'm at about three-something, uh, you know, accumulated over 1,000 shares. And uh, it got a little pop here with the, with the recent activity. And I'm just wondering, it doesn't look like oil prices are going down anytime soon, and will that force them, you know, back to drilling um, offshore, you know, uh, uh, they do it in the uh, North Sea and a lot of those places, mm -hmm. not so much in the United States. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. I looked at this company myself about 15 years ago because it was a big thing, you know, Transocean, all oh, this and that. And I looked at it. I can't remember the reason why I didn't buy it, but I remember I liked it. I thought the fundamentals, and again, I'm going back 15, 20 years ago, uh, looked pretty good, but there was something about it I didn't like. I'm also glad I did, I did not purchase it. But as you're talking too, I mean, you're right. I mean, perhaps this is one thing we could do because I, I was driving in today and I saw gas, you know, $6.50. It continues to increase. Something has to be done. Maybe this could be to loosen up a little bit on the offshore drilling. So let's, let's take a look at the numbers on Transocean. Again, their symbol is RIG. They are in the oil and gas drilling industry. Uh, they do have about 10% uh, float on it uh, on the short side. Uh, which is not high, but it's a you know, little bit uh, higher than normal. Uh, institutional ownership is only 54%. They do not have a PE ratio, which means no earnings over the last 12 months. Price of sales still looks high, 1.2 versus 0.5. Price to book value, though, is only 0.3 versus 1.8. So that tells you you're only paying 30 cents for the price for the tangible book value of these these assets here, which is, is, is incredible. It doesn't mean that the company can't go under, but it is a positive sign. The industry's at 1.8. Price of cash flow is six versus 4.9. Now, last year there's no earnings. Sales, unfortunately, last year did decline by 18%. Uh, the industry was down 6.2. Now, here's a big positive, and I don't, I don't know how they came up with this, but the five-year earnings per share growth estimate rig is 156% versus 11.3. If they can accomplish that, this stock would actually probably skyrocket going forward. And perhaps the analysts are thinking that they will go back to offshore drilling because they have to, maybe that could be a thing. Uh, they do not pay a dividend. Uh, very important, the balance sheet, current ratio 1.7 versus 1.5. That's a positive. Debt to equity is pretty good. It's only 0.6 versus 1.3, so, so that's nice to see that. Uh, net profit margin is a negative 26.8 versus a negative 11.8. Return on equity is a negative six versus a negative 10.4.
Uh, looking at the share price on Friday, it was $4.40. The high is only $5.56, but the low is $2.63. So they have come up somewhat. Uh, even though the small share price, they still have a market cap of, uh, what, $3 billion here. Uh, let's check to see if there's any earnings going forward. Uh, unfortunately, uh, going out to December 2023, they're still looking for a loss of 33 cents, better than the loss of 2022 of 61 cents. Uh, seven analysts follow this. Uh, no one thinks they're going to earn any money at all. Even the high estimate is a loss of 15 cents and a uh, low is a loss of 62 cents. Um, it, it's just something that I can invest in a company, even with that great tangible book value. Uh, they've got to have some earnings because while you know it looks cheap around four dollars a share, uh, if it falls two dollars, you lost another fifty percent. So I, I would have to stay away from it until we see some positive here uh, on the earnings going forward. Already, thank you very much. Okay, Mike, thanks for calling. You have a good one. Bye bye. All right, that does open the phone line eight three three. Two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Uh, we did get a actually Chase got this one. It was on uh, his Instagram. It says MT on Instagram. Hey Chase, love your show. I'm pretty busy during Saturdays, but I listen to your podcast during the week. If you're slow on calls, would you be able to check out Brilliant Earth? I got my fiance's engagement ring from them and like what they are about. They also have uh, seem to have a low PE ratio and a decent past three weeks uh, with all this craziness. Uh, have a great weekend. Well, shoot, I just realized he does not have the symbol here. Let me see if I can find this or not uh, here, MT. I'll see what I can do here for you because I'll, I'll put in Brilliant Earth, see if anything comes up. Um, and I don't think, uh, well, Brilliant Earth Group. I think that's probably it. Their symbol appears to be uh, BRLT. So I'm going to go with that one there. Uh, let's see here. Yeah. Okay. So they're in the industry of luxury goods. So I believe I've got it there. So Brilliant Earth Group, symbol BRLT. And this is for MT on Instagram, who listens by the podcast. Uh, shares float 7.3%. Uh, institutional ownership 71%. Unfortunately here, no PE ratio versus 23.6 for the industry. Price to sales is very attractive, 0.1 versus three. Price to book value, 5.9. That's attractive because the industry is not material. And price to cash flow is 1.4 versus 12. Uh, they do not have a peg ratio. I do not see any earnings growth or sales growth over the last year or even five years. Uh, they do not pay a dividend. Let's go to the balance sheet here. Uh, current ratio 1.9, that is better than the industry at 1.8, but debt to equity not looking good. 9.4 versus 0.9. So you wanna look at the balance sheet to see do they have a lot of debt? Low equity, is that debt increasing, decreasing? What's going on with the debt there? Uh, we do see a net profit margin of a negative 0.1% versus positive 13%. Uh, return on equity is a negative 5.7 versus a positive 25.1. Oh my gosh, and the, the stock price on Friday was $5 and a penny. The high was $20.39. Uh, the low is 360. They're down 72% year to date. Uh, I think that could be because of the earnings uh, that they're, or the, the way the balance sheet does look. Um, also too, the market cap, only $54 million. Very small company, could be here today, uh, gone tomorrow. 
Let's see if there's any earnings estimates uh, for the company going forward. And, and actually they are, and they actually don't look too bad. Uh, December 2023, 43 cents. That's based on seven analysts. That is up from 2022 <clears throat> when it's 23 cents. If I put a multiple of 16.6 on that, I will get a stock price of uh, $7. So it, it does get a little bit of room, but you really got to look at this company deeper. Again, very small company, only $50 million market cap. Uh, y you've got a lot of debt there. Could be here today, gone tomorrow. They're probably expanding. Th this is where you want to really listen to the last conference call, see what their plans are, really read into the company, understand it, because you got the potential growth on the analysts. Uh, the, the range of those estimates is unfortunately pretty high. It's uh, 31 cents the low. Uh, 60 cents is the high. So uh, you might want to look into it. We can never buy it because we'd have to buy the whole company uh, with 50 million. And also too, the, the trading on it may be rather small because the stock is small. Alrighty, hope that helps out MT and, and I'm glad you listen to the podcast. And again, if you like uh, the show and you can't always catch the show, you can go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can click on the podcast button and you can see uh, how you can listen to the show by podcast. All right, so let's go back to the phones. Let's go to Pacific Beach and speak with Mike. Mike, you're on the Smart Investor Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi, thanks for all the information you give out every week. It's really great and helps me out. Um, I was calling about IEP. It's a very diverse company and uh, my friend and I talked about it and we don't have own it, but uh, we'd like to get your opinion. And I know this is a Carl Icahn, and I've always liked Carl Icahn's uh, investment philosophy. I mean, he really is a, he's not quite a value investor, but he does like to look at the businesses and understand the businesses. And this is kind of his company, which actually has all those businesses in it. So sometimes it doesn't look very well, but uh, I, I'm very curious myself to see what it looks like. So it's uh, Icahn Enterprises, uh, symbol is IEP. Uh, they are in the industry conglomerates, so there's only 0.7% float on the stock, 88% institutional ownership, and I do believe Carl Icahn does have, I want to say 30 or 40% of this company. I could be wrong on that number, but I think he has a big holding of this. Uh, we do see no P.E. ratio versus 15.6 for the industry. Price of sales comes in at 1.2 versus 0.6, and that's okay. Price to book value, 6.1, that is better than the industry at 9.3. And price of cash flow is five versus 10.8. So that's a positive as well. Now we do not see any earnings growth over the past year, but sales were up 50.5% versus 34.4. It does pay a 15.6% dividend, but the payout ratio is not material because it had no earnings. So I'm not sure how he's paying out such a large dividend of $8. That could have been a special dividend or one-time things, or it could be. The dividend goes, you know, from eight dollars to two dollars to five dollars. Could be all over the board each year. So I want to understand how that dividend has been in the past. Uh, we do see that uh, on the balance sheet, current ratio four point three versus one point five. Debt to equity two point three. Uh, that's above the industry at one point two. I don't know how that works if he's using leverage there or what. But again, you really want to understand more about the uh, Icon Enterprises before we get into it because he is buying just a lot of companies. And there, and I believe he does leverage some of those as well. Net profit margin is a negative 3% versus a positive 6.3. Return on equity a negative 14.5 versus a positive 15.2. 
the price now is $51.27, the high $59.11, the low, very tight range here, only $48.93. Uh, year to date, uh, it is up 11.5%. Uh, uh, let's take a look at the analysts going forward, see if there's any earnings for uh, Icon Enterprises going forward. And, and, and there are, it's uh, $0.68, cents, uh, only one analyst though, uh, and, and I know that if I put a target sell price on that, it, it's gonna be very low. It's not even hardly worth doing here, but I'll do it just for, for the, see what it is. Yeah, it's $11, nowhere near what the tar target price is. Uh, th this is a whole different investment. I think if you read more about this, I think you're really investing in Carl Icahn. What's he gonna do? Uh, I know he's also getting older. I wanna say he's in his 80s, uh, maybe approaching 90. So you also have the Warren Buffett thing here. Is he going to continue going on or is he gonna be done in a while? So I, I think I, you could read more about this based on the fundamentals, it's not a buy, but you'd be buying again the war, the not the Warren Buffett, the <laughs> Carl Icahn philosophy, which I think is a pretty good one. Alrighty. All right, well that helps me out a lot. Thank you very much and uh, appreciate your show. Okay, Mike, well thanks for calling and you have a good one. You too, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, I'd say that opens on the phone line, but we only got about uh, two minutes left here. So I do want to just talk quickly about mortgage demand continues to decline as rates rise and affordability remains challenging. Last week, applications to purchase a home fell by 7% for the week and were 21% lower compared to last year. With many homeowners locking in lower rates over the last few years, refinance demand has dropped significantly. Uh, last week, refinance demand dropped 6% compared to the prior week, and compared to last year, it was down 75%. So there's no point in refinancing. Uh, obviously, rates are going up. Um, overall, mortgage demand came in at its lowest level in 22 years. With this reduced demand, I'm still looking for a 5 to 10% pullback in housing prices over the next year or so. It, it's just going to be very hard to keep that demand going because it really kept houses high was the big demand and you know the the crazy offers and so forth well if rates are going up um it, you're not gonna have as many people doing that. i have heard from people i know in the industry saying yeah you're not seeing that as much before you no longer see the multiple offers now starting to see maybe offers a little bit lower uh than what the asking price is um so the market seems to be loosening up a little bit uh it's hard to say will the market drop five percent ten percent I, I don't believe it would drop 20%. That would, that would be terrible if it did that. I think it would take a terrible recession for that to happen, partly because uh, the inventory. We still don't have a buy high inventory on homes, but I still think there are people saying, you know what, my home's at the top price. Uh, you, you know, we're, we're, what do they call it? Without kids, uh, there's a name for it. Um, uh, well, you're retired, you don't have no kids at the home, you got this five bedroom home, no one's there. I think we'll sell for, for a smaller house. Well, there's the uh, closing bell. So thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. <clears throat> it is for informational person only and should not be, not be used on investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And be sure to visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Right there, you can sign up for the newsletter. Part what you heard here, a lot more to it. It is free. Again, ready to butt right there on the smartinvesting2000.com. Have a great day. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. I did all that. And may I say.